Welcome back to the Gambone Law Podcast. My name is Alfonso Gambone, and today I am joined by Whippers Conversation attorney Sam Gaylord. I've known Sam for quite some time. He practices in the area of workers' compensation. The goal of our podcast, as many of our listeners and our viewers know, is to explore areas outside of criminal defense and sometimes get into non-legal areas. And Sam is a fantastic resource in the areas of workers' compensation. He has practiced in this area for over 25 years, I believe. Uh, He practices uh, in New Jersey, which is uh, where I reside as well. And um, he is licensed to practice law in Pennsylvania and New Jersey. So Sam, welcome. Thank you very much. Uh, Sam, I want to get into workers' compensation because it's an area that quite frequently I get questions about. Um, in my own practice, we all represent clients, and, and, and you know, as a lawyer, sometimes a person comes in your office, and, and they're in a legal office, and, and, and they think the lawyer has the answers to all the questions. Everyone. And <laughs> <laughs> so I'm talking about a DUI or right. DWI or a drug case, and they'll hit me with a question about workers' compensation, yep. and I won't have a clue. So the first thing I want to ask you is, is that workers' compensation involves an injury. So how is a workers' compensation claim different from a personal injury claim? Okay. Well, first of all, Alphonse, I want to to say thank you. Uh, It's a a real uh, pleasure to be here this morning with you on your podcast. I appreciate uh, your inviting me and uh, looking forward to uh, spending some time with you this morning. Um, also, just for clarity purposes, in addition to workers' comp, we also do Social Security and disability pension work. So it's sort of I refer myself to as a disability litigator in the state of New Jersey. And um, basically for now a little over 26 years, yep, uh, been representing injured workers. So that's all we do. You know, it's sort of a niche practice and the other areas are the sort of niches within the niche. So it really makes it so you can have a, a full conversation with somebody about potentially all of the benefits that they're entitled to receive. So um, in terms of your question, how is it different? The first thing that everybody should know is that New Jersey and Pennsylvania workers' compensation, it's really sort of night and day. Uh, the benefits that you're entitled to or how you can acquire benefits in Pennsylvania are very different than they are in New Jersey. So our focus is in New Jersey, and we have several different offices that we make you know, referrals to in Pennsylvania for, for workers' comp, just because the, they're both volume practices, and there'd be no way to manage each of the legal specialties um, in terms of the systems per state. So you know, we're, our focus is just on, on New Jersey. Um, in terms of the differential between workers' comp and, and personal injury, I always say that I've had the pleasure of being able to represent people who have at least worked for one day. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, the answer is that if somebody gets hurt while working in the state of New Jersey, then they automatically are entitled to receive workers' compensation benefits. So what that specifically means is that they are entitled to receive medical treatment, where in New Jersey, the insurance carriers control the medical care. So they're going to say, okay, go to Dr. A, Dr. B, Dr. C. 
But as long as you follow through with that medical, those medical recommendations, all of the medical treatment is furnished and paid for by the workers' comp carrier, okay? Um, if the authorized doctor takes you out of work, then you're also going to get paid for being out of work. So that's the second benefit, which is temporary disability. And then at the end of the case, you're also entitled to receive an award for that injury. So um, the bigger differences in, in terms of comp versus personal injury is that you don't have to prove somebody was negligent. So I don't have to, you don't have to show proximate cause. You don't have to show negligence. I was working. I got hurt. I'm automatically entitled to those benefits as I just described. So, Sam, let me ask you, when a person comes in your office and says that you know, I was hurt at work, I mean, how do you handle that case in New Jersey? If you could kind of, and I, I, I understand it's a process, but for instance, in the criminal defense world, when a person comes in, I kind of lay out what has to happen from start to finish. And I kind of do that because I want the person to understand that this isn't going to be over in a week and uh, this isn't a um, law and order show where I'm going to finish in an hour. And uh, it's going to take, you're going to be seeing me for the next probably six to nine to maybe even a year or longer. In our office, we kind of give people an overview because I think it's important because when, when you hire a lawyer, regardless of the area, people want to understand, you know, what's going to happen. And that, for them, brings a sense of comfort. So could you kind of explain that to me as far as the process when a person comes in your office? What has to happen and from from the time you open a case to the time that uh, the case is closed? So in terms of uh, meeting with new clients, one of the biggest things that we always focus on is making sure that uh, the client, when they come in, they're going to meet with an attorney. Um, our view is that it's really the creation of a relationship and one that provides not only an opportunity to, you know, legally interact as attorney and client, but also to get a sense of what the person is involved with. What do they like? Um, you know, and I'm constantly making notes to determine you know, are they an Eagles fan or are they a Phillies fan or just so that way, you know, down the road, if they were to refer a new client, you could send them a thank you with, you know, something from the Eagles or something from the Phillies, you know, whatever the case might be. All right. Um, but in terms of meeting with the clients, the we set expectations and that's really the big the big the big goal is to have someone know what's going to happen every step of the way. And almost as if it's, uh, it may seem like too much information, but I want somebody to really get a sense of, as you said, this isn't a law and order episode. It's not going to resolve in an hour. And, you know, someone, depending on how significantly they are injured, they may be treating with doctors for six months, nine months, a year, whatever it takes. And so it's an explanation of here's what you can expect, here's what happens, and if something doesn't follow this path, here are all the ways that you can contact me, you can contact, there's a specific paralegal that's going to be working on your file with me. So they have access to know how to get answers to any of the questions that may come up.
So does the claim start after treatment has concluded or does the claim start when, I guess, the injury happens? So it's a good question. The, in terms of when to file the claim, uh, you know, the, the, the answer there is it's sort of the typical uh, lawyer answer. It depends, <laughs> um, you know. So on the one hand, you know, on the other hand, right? Um, but, you know, usually what I like to do, again, minus a few exceptions, is I want to file the claim right away. I want an insurance adjuster or a nurse case manager. Basically, I want the other side to know that my client is represented and that they're not going to be just able to take advantage of somebody by, you know, trying to ship them around or do certain things. Um, now, sometimes we'll have uh, uh, clients who have a great, or whatever reason, have a great relationship with the nurse case manager or they're communicating regularly with the adjuster, at which point I don't want to mess with that. So we'll open the file internally. Everybody here will know what's going on, but we won't actually file the claim only because um, I don't want to interrupt that relationship that the client has with whomever and they're getting the benefits that they are entitled to without there being any problems. Um, one of the biggest things that we always advise clients, right, is when you pursue a worker's comp case, you know, there's, there's a whole bunch of stigmas that go with it, right? Someone is trying to malinger, they're trying to delay being out of work, you know, they're sitting on the couch eating bonbons, watching daytime television, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and really, truly, it couldn't be further from the truth. Um, you know, a lot of the times when people are out of work, they're only getting a percentage of what they would normally get if they're working. So, and it gets capped every year. So you have uh, clients who, let's say, might be a corrections officer, police officers, things of that nature, who are making two, $3,000 a week because they're working overtime and doing this and that. Now, all of a sudden, they're getting $1,000 a week. So they don't want to be out of work. Um, and the other thing is, too, the other thing that people have to be aware of is that we're never, when we file that claim, I'm never suing, we're not suing the employer. Every employer by law in the state of New Jersey has to carry workers' comp insurance. So the claim petition that we file is really just going after the workers' comp insurance company, and the employer is actually never involved in the process. So now that brings my next question in terms of these claims, how are they evaluated and how are they potentially litigated and is it a situation where for instance in a personal injury claim there's a settlement or an agreement and while complaint is filed in a courtroom and perhaps there's discovery that takes place um, the claim is settled with the workers compensation claim what does that process look like sure so the best way to start with that question is to say it this way. There are two specific types of work-related injuries that you can have in the state of New Jersey. One is the easiest, obvious, which is I'm at work, I slip, I fall, I hurt myself. There's a specific day, time, place. There's no question as to what occurred. Um, and in that context, usually what will happen is the person will receive medical treatment until the doctor indicates that that person has reached their maximum medical improvement. They return to work 
And then at that point, the next steps in the process, we gather the medical records. Both sides, ours and the carrier, are going to have that person evaluated by, you know, doctors, experts for purposes of trying to settle the case. And then we're going to go to now virtual court, but, you know, go to court and we'll be able to get the case resolved. Uh, 9.99 times out of 10, those types of workers' compensation cases will resolve by way of a settlement. Um, you won't need to have a trial. And, um, and then mechanically what will happen is once it's settled, they have the authority. The person comes to court one day, we do it on virtual, they get on, they understand the settlement and the case is resolved. Now, one of the other true advantages of workers' comp in New Jersey, though, is that once a case settles, that person now, in addition to that money, maintains the right to reopen the case as long as they do that within a two-year window. So whether they're at a different employer, doesn't matter. Um, whether they, uh, just that their condition gets worse, and as long as it's within that two-year window, they have the ability to reopen the case and get additional benefits. So the carrier would have to provide additional medical treatment. If they had to be out of work again, they'd get paid again. And then they could potentially get additional money for their injury because it got worse over time. So is the claim paid in a lump sum or did it come to the injured worker as a monthly or weekly payment? Yep. So at the, in terms of an award, uh, the answer in, in New Jersey is they do it by what they call percentages of disability. So each body, so it's literally, it's a chart and each body part is on the top of the chart and percentages of disability go down the side of the chart. And then you basically take the body part and the percentage and you cross-reference it to, and in the chart, there's a little box and in the box, there's money. And so when we negotiate cases, unlike a personal injury lawsuit where you say, okay, I want 20,000, 30,000, whatever it may be, in workers' comp, we're always discussing that in terms of percentages of disability. I want 10%, I want 20%, whatever it may be, for whatever body part. And we know, of course, the higher the percentage, the greater the dollar. But at the end of the day, it's always done in these percentages of disability. And so the way in which an award gets paid is what happens is the, um, the insurance carrier looks back to when they, let's say, last paid the person for being out of work when they were treated. And then depending on the period of time from that date till they get their first check, if the settlement fits within the period, then the person is going to receive an entire award in a lump sum. If the disability, if the award is greater than that period, then they get the lump sum accrued and then they'll get monthly payments until the entire award is paid out. So that's how it goes. But the advantage to that, although it stinks that you don't get the whole thing in a lump sum, the advantage is when you go, when you look to reopen a case, you have two years from the date that they last provide a benefit. So if they have to pay the award for a year, what it actually does is it extends the statute of limitations. So now instead of just a two-year window, you actually have a three-year window in which you could reopen the case. And in terms of that compensation, when an award is made, um, I know taxes in your area, but I'm just going to ask, um, in terms of taxable income, is that treated like normal income? No, absolutely not. Uh, okay. Both when you're out of work and you're getting paid what they call temporary disability benefits 
and a workers' comp award, those are all tax-free dollars. So no taxes on any of that. So Sam, I wanted to ask you, you mentioned this chart that has body parts. And when I think of workers' compensation claim, I think of a physical injury. But are there cases that you've handled where there is not a physical injury? It's it's a some type of mental or other, I guess, non-physical injuries want to classify it as that. Does that happen? Uh, yeah, quite a bit, actually. Okay. Um, so, right. Can you so, example of that, maybe? Absolutely. Oh, for okay. sure. Uh, in fact, I actually have a very good example. So we represent a lot of uh, corrections officers um, where our main offices were right outside of Trenton. And so from my office, it's a seven-minute ride to Trenton State Prison. It's uh, about a two-minute ride to Trenton Psychiatric Hospital. Uh, the criminally insane hospital, which is Ann Klein, is about a five-minute drive. So, you know, they say location, 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 right? Um, but we represent a lot of corrections officers, medical security officers, things of that nature. And a lot of the times you'll get situations where, and I have one right now, where we have a corrections officer who doing their normal nightly, you know, check, they're walking around and they have an inmate that has killed themselves that's hanging in the cell. So certainly the type of situation that cause a post-traumatic stress disorder or a mental disability. And as a result, the person is still entitled to the same benefits that they would if they slipped and fell and broke their arm. Hmm. So they're entitled to medical treatment. If they had to be out of work for a while, they get paid for being out of work. And then there would be an award for that mental disability um, uh, as well. The other kinds of, when we were talking of a few minutes ago in terms of the types of cases that can exist, we were talking about the specific accident. But one of the other things that can happen is what's called an occupational claim. So I can you know, repetitively do data entry uh, for 10 years and I'll get carpal tunnel. Or I'm in a facility that has black mold and I have a pulmonary disability. Um, but if there's some work exposure that causes over time a disability, that's going to fit under the umbrella of New Jersey workers' comp. Now, the advantage to those cases for individuals is that typically the insurance carriers are going to deny that claim. They're basically going to tell me, okay, well, go prove your case, which is fine because once you have a denial from the primary carrier, that is the workers' comp insurance company, now you're free and clear to use your own insurance and you can go see any doctor you want to go and see, and you're not tied to having to get permission from the workers' comp insurance carrier to get doctors or CAT scans or whatever it is you may need. So hmm. sometimes it's an advantage when they deny the cases, but um, you know, COVID exposures uh, count as a work-related injury, um, especially when COVID first happened. Um, the governor of the state of New Jersey has signed legislation over the last two and a half years uh, that indicates if you were a, uh, you know, considered an essential employee and you got COVID within a certain period of time, that there was actually now a presumption that that COVID was in fact work-related. And it sort of shifts the burden to the other side to have to show that it didn't happen at work. So, um, you know, so those kinds of cases fit into the into the chart. 
So in terms of injuries, now we talked about non-physical and physical injuries. We mentioned that uh, chart. For an injury that's not going to get any better, so you, you situation where, let's say, a person's um, in construction and they lose use of their hand because of work-related injury, and then you, you take that example and you Another example would be a correctional officer with PTSD and the psychiatrist or psychologist says, this isn't going to get any better. This is, he has this for life and this is it. Just like with the, with the contractor or construction worker, he can't use that hand. He can't lay brick. He can't drive a nail into a board or any of that. He's not coming back. Uh, in terms of that award and then, I guess, long-term what is that person looking at? Sure. And, all, and also, if they decide to say, get into a different field. So the correctional officer goes from being a correctional officer to a high school teacher. Uh, and the contractor goes from working on the job site to teaching shop at the local high school. That's the, just, just to kind of keep it similar in terms of, of professions. Sure. Well, so, the, you know, and in those cases, what's... what's um, the, the best example, or we can create a really good example based on what you're, what you're discussing, is that say you've got the, the um, laborer who works for a municipality, okay, and they've injured their hand so badly that they'll never go back to doing that particular work ever again. But they are out of work for an extended period of time, and now the doctors are coming to the conclusion that there's nothing more that they could do. What, what sort of, what are, what are they looking at? Where do they go? So this is, this is truly the, the benefit or one of the benefits that I have in terms of uh, our firm, Shapeman Lakin, is that because we handle not just the workers' comp, but the social security disability and the disability pensions work, if you think of it like where if you drew three circles and where all three circles intersect right in the middle and you highlight that, right? That's Sam Gabriel. So the, the best part is that I now can take this person, especially as we're going through it, and say, look, here are, and I call it playing three-dimensional chess, but here are all of your options. Here are the things you can do. Here's what's required. Here's how we get to here. And we set it up so that when it hits those points, we're not scrambling. We've been proactive with what's happened. So, and I'll give you an example. So our, you know, laborer who works for uh, a municipality, not only are they going to have their workers' compensation case, but they're also, because they're not going to be able to go back, they're going to have the opportunity to apply for a disability pension um, in the state of New Jersey. If you're a public employee or if you're a police and fireman or if you're a teacher, you have access to a state disability pension system. So as a result of that person not being able to go back and do their particular job, they have the ability to apply for a disability pension. So in addition to their workers' comp case, they're going to have access to the disability pension benefits. Plus, if that person is out of work for at least a year, they're also going to have the opportunity to apply for Social Security disability benefits. So they can receive social security disability benefits, maybe. They can receive their disability pension. Plus, they're also going to have a workers' compensation case. So 
The idea is to, again, as you're going through this and you get the sense that the person is not going to be able to go back, um, you know, again, the corrections officer who's got a PTSD issue. And the reason for that is because they can't go back into the facility because every time they go back into the facility, it triggers what, you know, the memories are. So that person may be able to go be a teacher. They may be able to go do anything else. And they're okay to do that because they'd still be eligible to get a disability pension plus the workers' compensation award. The disability pension part only says, I'm disabled from doing that particular job. So that means I can go do something else, but yet I could still receive those disability benefits. So if the person were to go back and do a different job, so we use the high school teacher as an example, and let's say their salary that they earned as a high school teacher was somewhat similar to what they earned as the contractor or the uh, laborer um, within, say, you know, five to $10,000. Would that change their, their, their benefits or their pension? The only time that pensions starts to get affected in terms of being reduced is if the person in subsequent employment starts to make more than what they were making when they were working. So if they're making equivalent or a little bit less, they're able to do that and still collect a disability pension. Once they go over and above that salary, then it starts to reduce their monthly benefit. Yeah. So now one big question that that we get in my area of practice, criminal defense, is well, you know, what is it going to cost me? And our fees, I mean, as you're aware, in we work off of retainers. People do have to pay us upfront, and we 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 do have different payment arrangements. In some cases, flat fees, and but for the most part, we're working from retainers. Um, so now, in terms of workers' compensation, disability, that area, how are the attorneys paid? Yep. So I ride the contingency fee way. So everything I do. Uh, for the most part, um, well, definitely for workers' compensation and definitely for Social Security disability, those two systems are all contingency fee systems. Um, New Jersey Workers' Comp says that if you receive an award, there's an attorney's fee. It's set by the statute. And the overall attorney's fee is 20% of the recovery. That's how we get paid. And typically, uh, depending on how it settles, but typically the 20% is split between the injured worker and the insurance carrier. So typically the way I word it to clients is, look, the overall attorney's fee is 20%, but the most that's going to come out of your money is 10%. The other 10% is paid by the insurance company. And that's how we get paid. And we get paid at the end of the case. Um, any uh, medical records or anything like that, that we'd have to acquire, they are usually provided to us by the workers' comp insurance company. So it's not like we have a lot of expenses. And at one point in time, we're going to have somebody be seen by an expert and that expert's cost for their evaluation and report is $600. But again, that's split by the injured worker and the insurance company. And the way we always do it is say, look, we're going to cover the $300 and we'll get our report and then I'll get reimbursed at the end. So there's no cost outlay to an injured worker um, when we pursue the workers' compensation case. It's all contingency. 
Okay. Uh, Social Security is based on back benefits. Again, also contingency. 25% of back benefits up to $6,000. Minus the $104 that Social Security charges me to send me my check. So it's... $6,000 6000 minus 104 so I get a check for $5,896. <laughs> okay. I want to uh, finish up with just two questions. Uh, the first question is a legal question, but we have a lot of attorneys who watch our podcast, listen to it. So I often talk about what we do to, to um, put out our message to, to our clients and to clients. At our law firm, we typically focus on educational marketing. Um, I don't do the mass marketing. I usually do uh, newsletters and monthly updates. And and at our firm, we are very much about providing clients and families and potential clients with information. And we want to, and I found that as effective as a business model. In terms of your practice, and um, how do you get your message out there? How do you market to your clients? And in, in an age where competition, as you know, among, among law firms is, is extremely competitive. Yep. So can you kind of touch on that? Sure. Uh, this is actually one of the, one of the uh, great things, uh, A, about doing this kind of a podcast. Uh, but um, I think you and I met uh, uh, through uh, Ben Glass at Great Legal Marketing. We did. And um, so, you know, so similar philosophy. Um, This is about information. I often will meet with someone and I call it cleaning up spilt milk because they've talked to a friend of theirs or somebody who's gone through this. And, you know, or they'll talk to one of the, let's say, counselors at pensions who are very nice people and who are trying to give advice, but usually it's wrong. And, you know, they're relying on that. Then they're like, well, they told me. And I'm like, okay, well, I understand. Um, So we do a lot of the same things. Um, For example, Saturday mornings, 9 a.m. Facebook Live, I do Saturday with Sam. Every Saturday morning, I come on 20 minutes. I'll answer questions as they scroll up. Or I usually have a free, you know, topics uh, ready to go with some, you you know, because they'll ask questions during the week. Um, but every Saturday morning, 9 a.m., Saturday with Sam, um, I will do, we do a newsletter. Um, and we do, I do a lot of the little things. Like, to me, it's about staying in touch with clients without having to actually stay in touch with clients. So if um, I have a list every day, we send out birthday cards to clients because it's just, hey, just thinking of you, wish you a great day, sign it, send it out. It takes nothing. And yet, you know, how many times do you get, I can't believe my attorney remembered my birthday, you know, but it's a handwritten card. I mean, and that's the other thing. It's not an email. It's a handwritten card. There's a stamp on it. You know, how much mail are people actually getting these days, you know? Um, So, but we do a lot of little things like that because to me, it's, again, when we first meet with the client, it's about establishing the relationship, knowing that they're an Eagles fan or being able to have that conversation. Now, of course, all that information gets put in our computer system. So as you're sitting there talking to somebody, I'm looking at all my notes as to, you know, who they like. So I'm not talking about the giants or something like that. And, uh, you know, so, but it's a lot of, yeah, it's, it's information because like with your practice, right. It's a, it's a specific practice. You handle cases in that area of law. 
and you're very good at it and that's your that's your niche ours is the same mine is the exact same thing i am i always tell clients i am super good at what i do and i'm super good about not taking cases that i don't handle because i refer to that as the left side of my desk and i want that clean and i don't want any issues and i don't want to have to worry about did i do something wrong in a case i'd rather send it to somebody uh, who specializes, you know, specializes in those right. things, um, which is why we have a lot of, um, like, I'll have a lot of workers' comp lawyers who will actually send me their pension cases, even though I do workers' comp, because they know that I'm now going to be their biggest advocate. And a client will say, oh, well, you know, he doesn't stay in touch with me. And I'll be like, whoa, 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 trust me. They're going to do great by you. And, you know, and we'll, and I'll help them market and make sure the client stays with that, you know, oh, why don't you just handle everything? Well, that's not how we work and, you know, that kind of thing. So um, that's what, you know, for the lawyers, for us, that's what makes that relationship so special because you know that you can have that trust in the referral without having to worry about somebody taking the client. I understand. So now last question. This is a uh, legal question, but it's not really a, um, it's a, it's a legal area question. Sean Watson, uh, I've written a lot of blogs about this, and I, 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 I always ask my fellow attorneys what they think about the case, not as far as what happened. I'm looking at it from the standpoint that the NFL hired this former federal judge to be this arbitrator. And I haven't been to many arbitrations. I'm sure you've been to more than I, 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 I you can count. But they they hired this you know qualified judge to hear this case. She makes a decision and she suspends the guy for six games based on you know her view of the policies and and let's call it case law the prior decisions. And when I watch ESPN and these other sports analysts, they seem like oh well she made a decision based on previous decisions and the policies. I feel like saying that's what judges do. I mean, like, so, you know, are you shocked by this? And also she kind of, in her decision, talked about, well, what mitigates the sentence? No prior criminal history. And and I, you know, I said to myself, well, she's doing what a judge would normally do. So listen, the guy did something wrong, but I have to, I have to sentence him appropriately based on previous decisions. And I don't want to get appealed. So right. I kind of want to you know, live in a safe zone. That's why we have sentencing guidelines. Right. Um, how do you feel about, first of all, you know, kind of what the NFL did to kind of take it out of her hands now? And um, do you think that that, I mean, using an arbitrator is the right way to go here? Yeah. So, you know, the, it's, it's interesting because, you know, certainly as the, uh, as the father of two daughters, um, you know, there, there comes with that a certain, uh, a certain bias, right. Sure. Uh, in terms of what I think would be appropriate. Um, but you know, I think, I think you're right a hundred percent in the sense that you hired somebody so that you could demonstrate to the world that you were doing everything possible to make it independent from you as an organization. And when you get that and that person goes through the entire process as she's supposed to and then comes with a decision 
that you don't like, then you say, well, okay, thanks, but we don't like that. So we're going to do whatever we're going to do. Anyways. So, right. okay. So now the marketing team for the NFL has taken over and says, oh yes, well, that clearly isn't enough because the uh, women marketing bracket is saying this and the men bracket is saying that. And so we need to do it based on what they're saying so we can continue to make our billions and billions of dollars. Right. So to me, it's like, you're either going to be transparent and allow the process to do what it's supposed to do, or you're not, and just don't pretend that you're going to do it. Yeah, yeah, and and that's and and that's where I stand on it. You know, she had they gave her this role. They said that she's this independent arbitrator, and she made a decision. And, you know, what do they say sometimes that when it comes to a settlement or an agreement, if both sides walk away and they're not 100% happy, you kind of did the right thing. Now, now so, some have argued that Deshaun Watson, you know, he got off easy in six games. But really, I mean, he has to thank his agent for setting up a contract that he was only paid a million dollars this year. And, um, you know, he, he isn't going to lose a lot of money because... Quite frankly, the agent did that before this all got started. He had the forward thinking there to say, hey, listen, my guy is going to get suspended for some games. How do we structure this so he doesn't get hit so hard? That's just right. smart. That's just smart lawyering right there. Smart lawyering. Right, yeah, exactly. That's all that was. Right. So, um, Sam, I want to thank you for your time. Where can people find you and your law firm? Please give us your contact information. We will put it out there. Uh, I try to connect people as much as possible with great attorneys in areas that I don't practice in, uh, like workers' compensation, like disability. Uh, so, I mean, we trust your law firm implicitly, and I would like people to, to reach out to you. So please give your contact information now. I, I appreciate that very much. And, and again, thank you. I, I really, A, I enjoy this. Anytime I get an opportunity to educate people on you know what their rights are and what their benefits are in advance of their actually needing me uh it's good so that they're armed with the information that they need uh when it comes time to uh to actually having to use it so i thank you for the opportunity um yeah i am with uh, shaperman lakin and uh you can go to it's uh, www.shaperman which is s z a f e r m a n.com shaperman.com um, anybody can email me. It's sgaylord at shaperman.com. Uh, or you can always reach me on, on my cell phone number. It's a work cell, but it's my cell, which is 609-658-8289. Uh, or you can check me out on uh, uh, shaperman.com on the Facebook page on Saturday mornings at 9 a.m. I'm there every Saturday. Either uh, I'm remote or I'm here in the office, but uh, I'm there religiously at 9 a.m. Uh, to make sure that we talk about these topics. And uh, otherwise, um, you know, just hit me up or ask questions. Happy to help and happy to answer as best I can. Well, great. Well, Sam, we're going to put that information out on the screen just in case people um, are, um, weren't able to jot that down. But I will put that out as well as when this goes out uh, on our social media in our weekly update. Um, 
in, on all the outlets that our law firms uh, uses to reach out to our clients and their families. We will put the information out there and uh, hopefully we can connect you with some good people who need good representation. So I want to thank you again for coming on and I look forward to speaking to you soon. Absolutely. Me too. Thanks a lot, Alfon. Thanks.